Hello, everyone. This is Cassie Burns, co-founder of All Your Data. I'm an attorney who's been using AI and machine learning for 10 years. I love data and love talking to people about data, and that's what this podcast is about. Each episode of Cassie and will feature a new guest. Each guest comes from a different background with a different approach and attitude towards technology. We'll talk about their experiences and hopefully we'll learn a thing or two. Thanks for joining. Let's get started with Cassie and Elizabeth McCauley. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us here today on this episode of Cassie and. Thank you, Elizabeth. So tell everyone how we know each other and then just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Cassie. Appreciate being here. We met on LinkedIn and we just happened to be uh, living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Well, Dallas-Fort Worth is a huge geographical area. We live pretty close together. So that was fun to be able to meet you in person and connect over some wine. We had a really good time. I just, I love getting to know you. I love you, your, you and your personality and the fact that you live fairly close to me in Texan terms makes me love you <laughs> even more. <laughs> That's right. And I am very Texan, born and raised. Same here. Same here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Elizabeth. So I am a business-driven technologist. What that means to me is I look at technology through the business lens, how it applies, how it impacts business, how it creates efficiency, and and the, the usability of it just for people who would be users within a corporate environment, but also the usability of how people who may have accessibility issues also use that technology. For example, when I think about the future of the metaverse and how that might impact the loneliness endemic for seniors, you know, we need to have a usability first mindset as part of that overall design um, so everybody can access and, and be part of the technology. I started my career at IBM about 20 years ago and have been in roles throughout my career that are enterprise sales, go-to-market roles. I've worked in alliances. I've worked in product and offering management. I did a role at the point in time I really started getting interested in in immersive environments was I was in a a global solution role as part of a, a healthcare industry team. And so throughout my career, I looked through the lens of revenue and focused on how do you utilize um, technology? What are new offerings and services to bring to market that are really game-changing for business? You have a stellar background and you've worked with some powerhouses in particular in the quote-unquote web to or traditional technology businesses. And I know you're really focusing a lot of your, your time and attention on emerging technologies, be it crypto, Bitcoin, blockchain, Web3, metaverse, NFTs, the whole gamut, AI, all of that. When did you first really start getting interested in that space? I'll date myself a little bit and just go all in and say that this started for me about 17 years ago. In 2006, IBM formed a community called the Virtual Universe Community in Second Life. It was part of an emerging business organization or an EBO. And that was really focused on how in business in the future, immersive environments will be used to 
enable people to learn, to engage with others, and to really imagine what the future of the internet would look like in an immersive space. So the tech wasn't ready. This was really pre-cloud before cloud was ubiquitous as part of the technology backdrop that we're talking about now. And and also prior to the readiness of blockchains and AR, VR, and all these other things that are part of this, these rich experiences that we'll experience in the future. So my journey started there. And over that, as my career progressed, um, really started to hear a lot about crypto kind of in the 2018 timeframe. And by 2019, I had a friend from Workday and he's like, you got to get into crypto. And I'm like, kind of scared. What is this space? And so when the pandemic hit, not only did I make sourdough, but I also just went straight on in (laughs) with the (laughs) universe and really started to learn and immerse myself. And once I sort of figured out that blockchain is a dependency, and then there's all these other technologies that are starting to connect, the, the light started to go on for me. And it's like, wow, okay, we can't be in this moment today without the context of the previous 20 years of technology progress, right? Building upon where and how technology evolved, the historical context informs where we're going. And so I'm one of those people in this emerging tech world where it's not one versus another, it's a continuation of this technology journey that we're all on. So that's how my journey started. Every day I'm looking around the corner and stunned and amazed that one, how fast the technology is progressing, how disruptive it is, and and also that there's so much of it and it all works together on some level. It can be a little fatiguing, right? Trying to stay on top of everything yeah. that's that's coming out. I, I think you have to I give agree. yourself a little bit of grace. Like you can't know it all, so try to focus on a few things or or the core group that you're most interested in and know that you're not going to know everything. There's just too much to know. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And there is a lot of technology fatigue, particularly AI fatigue. And as much as I'm living in AI every day, regenerative AI, that is, um, it is very fatiguing to see constant articles about it. And it can be overwhelming. I really enjoy a big picture. I'm a big picture. I'm a macro thinker. I like to understand how things fit together, how they impact that the technologies work together and, you know, how businesses can use the technologies in the frameworks, the structures, the known business practices that they have and adopt as a continuation of their, their digital transformation roadmap. So that's I, I prefer the big picture versus being a specialist. It's the technology at the same time, though, to your point, can be very fatiguing. When you were learning everything you could, and it's a spectrum, we're still all continuing to learn, what were some of the best resources that you relied on to get up to speed on these things? So I'm an avid reader. I, I love to read. And so I, I read a lot at night. And so much of the reading I do is on inter- the internet, following people who are thought leaders in this space and following their threads to, I like to find who's the source of that thought, 
where is that thought coming from? Where does, who is the creator? And so I like to, in some aspects, follow the threads to their original source. And then that's how I find what to read about and who to study. It's fun that the analysts right now are pretty far behind in this space. So I've been a consumer of analyst research my whole career and the space is moving too fast and analysts do really well when they're focused on discrete technologies. But when technologies come together, it's harder for them to kind of pull apart what's important. So that's why I really like the the thinkers in this space that are off the grid, so to speak. They're not formal <laughs> analysts because they, they have more freedom to think and do and and pontificate about the possibilities. These emerging technologies, I think, as you said before, they're not standalone tools. They're, there's If you have a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap. One doesn't completely supersede the other. Maybe one isn't completely used with the other. So being able to, I think, think creatively about how all the tools could work together. Because right now we're, we have a sea of possibilities in front of us. And, and I was even reading posts on LinkedIn the other day about how some scientists are harnessing uh, very humid air. They're harnessing electricity from very humid air using nanowires and nanotechnology. And I remember nanotechnology was really high mm. maybe 10 years ago. And then you didn't mm-hmm. really hear, maybe even 15 years ago, yeah. and then you didn't hear anything about it. But it's really, I think, just all of these technologies, again, just converging. And there's a lot of opportunities out there for for companies who are able to really, I think, test and see see what's out there. And that kind of takes me to the other thing I want to talk to you about. You recently launched your emerging technology consulting practice after having all the years that you have with enterprise systems and then your personal interest in these emerging technologies. You said, you know what, I can I can build out an emerging technology go to market consulting group. So Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a it's been an amazing journey. And so I've officially burned the boats, so to speak. And what I really love about this is I'm realizing that along the way, I'm a builder, I'm a creator. I really like to see companies flourish in their efforts to adopt technologies that are an unfair advantage for them. And so in that, what I I realize is in building a company that is enabling growth for other companies at the intersection of emerging technology, I'm finding that founders, CEOs, executive leaders really need assistance navigating this space because like we talked about before, there is so much technology. And so it never makes sense for business to implement technology for technology's sake. It has to fit into a strategy. It has to align to the goals of the business, whether that's growth or hitting some type of reduction in cost, if that's driving transparency in supply chain with their suppliers, like whatever these business things are that are critical imperatives for businesses to stay successful, that's where emerging technology makes a lot of sense or technology, period. There's always a balance in throttling the risk of something that's really too new with something that really can be an enabler. And so for companies to be able to navigate this space and be the executives and busy people that they are, I find that's going to be 
really a huge challenge. But it's also very similar to the early days of cloud computing. This is like the historical context. Remember that in the Great Recession, um, this is when cloud native companies were born, like Salesforce and Airbnb and Netflix and companies that were had the position of, well, cloud computing's too new, whole regions of Amazon are going down, cloud is never going to be a thing, right? Companies were able to see the value of cloud computing because they knew it was about process. They knew it was about accelerating speed and time to market. Those are the companies that we see now are the unicorns of today. So I think we're in a very similar kind of market moment where it's not any specific technology that's going to be the difference. The difference is going to be understanding how to apply the emerging technology to the objective of the business as an unfair advantage. And I think whether it's an existing company or not, there are a lot of also, again, beyond the existing companies, there are a lot of just entrepreneurs out there. So it's a really rich opportunity for creative problem solvers, I think, to really, if you have that entrepreneurial drive to to maybe get out there and engage. How are you seeing the, the business leaders that you're talking to? What emerging technologies are they most interested in right now? So there's a spectrum and it really kind of depends on the, the role of, of the executive, but let's pick on a high growth type of company that is trying to figure out how to get the most out of their sales team, their sales process, really trying to outsprint their competitors. Those kinds of roles, there's a very obvious fit for generative AI to enable a sales and marketing process. That's a very, very easy use case. And then there's other examples where companies, even enterprise companies that are adopting blockchain to reduce the friction in a process. And while this is not widely accepted in enterprise business, I think the Web3 natives really have figured out how to leverage smart contracts to, and this is starting in financial services first, how to settle payments, how to drive extreme automation. I think there's other examples as well where, where companies are trying to figure out how to overall drive their revenue by implementing things like NFTs for loyalty and rewards. And so that those are very well documented as well as part of more the Web3 world, but we're seeing that more now um, in companies that are established. So I think we'll see this coming together of this idea of Web2 versus Web3 companies. And there's people will realize that Web3 is just an evolution of technology roadmap. And it's trying to figure out what is the logical entry point for those businesses based on their strategy, the core business that they're in today, and where they want to go in the future. Let's focus on generative AI a little bit. I know, again, you've started up this consulting practice and I know that you're AI first, you want to be able to consult with your your clients about how they could use AI, which means you've probably been using AI yourself to start this practice up. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us how you've been using AI just to start your own business? 
Absolutely. Touching on your earlier point that entrepreneurs can have a lower barrier to entry than ever before, we are in what I think of as a just real David and Goliath moment in business. There are so many tools available for creators. And when people who have a really strong background in business, whatever business that is, and in my case, it's strategy, go-to-market, sales, and creating revenue, my starting place for that is 20 years of business history now combined with all the power that's afforded through tools that want to dialogue And that's a big shift for people when they think about generative AI. Many people think about it's a question and answer type of system, and that's not the case at all. It's a system that wants to dialogue. It's a system that wants to have a role, have a persona, a system that wants to connect multiple concepts together in a complex thought and think through it with you. And so as I've, that's the one thing that I've really enjoyed a lot about starting this business is to really push the limits on where does the model break? Where does the model stop understanding? Where does the model get confused? Can the model follow my framework? Can I standardize the creation of content? Can I standardize personas within my business so I can apply personas consistently across the aspect of offering and product management, which is product development, bringing new offerings to market is something that we're very focused on in the business. So what I've enjoyed about it is we're definitely AI first, but we're AI first with a starting place of lots of business experience and knowledge of the process. So then we can take the AI as a dialogue assistant to invoke research, to invoke ideas to transform thoughts, to explore blind spots and do these kinds of things in a way that is just, it's, it's stunning how much work we can do with few resources. And I think your acknowledgement of your experience and not just your experience, but also your experience working in, in tech focused companies, I think it's worth highlighting that these tools in some way have been given a disservice the way they're talked about online mm-hmm. and headlines and clickbait type articles. There is mm-hmm. beyond the fear mongering, there's the other end of the spectrum of you can do so much and so little, but you still have to work at it. It is iterative. You shouldn't expect the first output to be your last. Um, and and I think that there's a level of education that needs that yeah. I think needs to happen with new users of AI. So, Mm -hmm. because I think what could happen is people could get just, they could try it here. It's a great, easy tool, great way to to maximize growth in various ways. And then they start using it and they're not getting the results they want. And they might think it's just them. And then, or this tool isn't as great as people thought. And then they walk away from it. They don't have that instant gratification. So is that something you talk to people about or or potential new clients about when you're- planning out a generative AI plan? Absolutely. So this falls into the category of of one of our offerings, executive AI enablement. And so we're building out a series of offerings, but essentially the best practice for using AI, so everyone has um, understanding where someone's starting place is, is a good place as kind of a, 
a benchmark and then really helping people understand how generative AI as a, a dialogue, a system that is not a question and answer system, kind of retraining, reframing our mind that it's not Google, right? It's not what doing we've been doing in search for a long time. It's something completely and totally different. But then also understanding where that executive is, where they sit in the business, because executives that have, let's pick on product marketing. Product marketing has some known processes, known frameworks for how people do persona development, value messaging, these kinds of things. And so if you are able to show people um, best practices with validation steps, validation steps, very important that I'm going to invoke the AI, I'm going to ask it to cite its research, and then I'm going to have a validation step that what I have that I know that the AI understands and we're both on the same page, and then we can go to the next step. Or I'm going to take a dialogue that I have with the AI yesterday and combine it in the concept of chaining where I'm putting multiple ideas together, but that the AI still understands and still understands its role and the outcome that we're looking for together. And then you do a validation step. So it's very much about with enablement, it's not just here's the AI. And I don't even believe in the concept of, of prompt engineering, really. I, I think it's a, not a great word, but I, I get why it's taken off. It's more that I understand how to work with the system. And I understand that throughout our work session, we need to stop and check in. We need to understand where information is coming from. We need to make sure that there's this navigating together, getting to a great output. I love that you're talking about validation. It's getting to my own personal experiences using AI, specifically machine learning. I, I've used AI for a while in litigation and we use it in an adversarial setting. We have to be able to validate. Like We wouldn't use it and not validate because we have someone on the other side of the V who may push us at our results and we have to be be able to defend our positions. And I feel that the the general consumer use of AI, there's that's really not been part of a dialogue, but I think that's going to start changing as we start seeing more and more AI-focused regulations start to roll out. So I think that you're already talking to leaders about if you're using AI, be sure you build in a validation step because you know, there is automation bias. There is the tendency where we think if a computer spits out a result, that's more accurate than if a human does it. And there can be room for, there can be error for many reasons. You can scale out a lot of efficiencies using AI, but it, it's a very powerful tool, but you still have to treat it like a powerful tool and sufficiently train it in essence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is where I think if we stick with the methodologies in business that are processes that we know and we can break down a process into the components and look at the components and say where does AI fit into this process and in which tools and there's so many out there right now we'll talk about purpose-built AI applications just a second but there's so many tools out there how do I know 
which model to work with and why? How do we know what role the AI needs to be during this step in this process as part of it? So I think we'll start to see almost like AI process maps for users to kind of, if you think about it like a workflow, that's like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is where you are in the workflow. And there's a recommendation engine that says invoke AI here, right? And that's how I, in my mind, how I see this rolling out through enterprise systems and use because not everybody like business analytics. There are people in business analytics that are data analysts and data scientists and those kinds of things. And just like in this period we're now, we're going to have people that are very comfortable working directly with the models and that's where my comfort level is. And there's going to be other people that really need that workflow guide and might need additional support to know what to do when. And it's not that one is better or worse or right or wrong or anything like that. It's it's more about you're going to have the concept of power users and you're going to have people that are more comfortable with lighter touch type of use. Both users need validation steps because humans will always be involved in a process or should be involved in a process, right? Theoretically. I mean, there's systems where we don't want humans involved at all, but we're talking about the kinds of work that people are doing. I believe that humans will be involved in the process. And I I think that this really strengthens a lot of the work we can do. I, I frequently hear it referred to as the human in the loop, but I really feel like that's doing nearly a disservice to the human in this entire process. And it's something that's not really talked about a lot is there's a lot of human involvement to get an effective AI system in place. And there's a lot of time spent on the front end, training the models, validating, as you said, and then as it it gets in the shape that you want it to, and it's in in kind of a day-to-day process, you're still validating from time to time. So it, it nearly is, to me, again, it's a tool that we use and it's a tool that it, that is kicked off overseen by humans. And yeah, again, the human in the loop is nearly like the reverse. It's really the AI machine in the loop that's making mm-hmm. our lives easier. Yeah. I like, I like how you, you said that. It's like we, we all on some level now have an assistant provided we know how to work with our assistant well and we know how to get the maximum output from the work we're trying to do provided we know what that is that's really where i see ai fitting very well in supporting our work we're talking i think a little bit more about process things and maybe more written generative ai tools but i also know you enjoy using midjourney which yes. is a generative ai tool that's focused on art mm-hmm. and I feel like not a lot of people talk about that process of of how to create generative AI art. And it may seem like it's probably very easy, but I, I and I've not played around with it too much, but I think it is a very much more difficult than people may appreciate. Can you tell us a little bit what your experience has been learning how to use tools like Midjourney? Mm-hmm. Yes. I love Midjourney. There's other amazing tools like Stable Diffusion and, and Dolly, which is part of the OpenAI platform. As part of Market Edge Partners, our emerging tech consulting firm, we use 
mid-journey art all throughout our work. And I think this is one of the things that's most rewarding about this creative process of building and emerging type consultancy is being able to do some awesome business work and do art along the way. So I'm getting a lot of energy from that. But your question about learning to work with it and is it difficult, I think achieving certain styles, if you have the consistency of a style. So if there's a photograph and it's taken in morning sun and it's at a certain angle, what's pretty interesting is being able to use two platforms together. So helping and assisting writing the prompts for mid-journey through T4, other kinds of things. And then figuring out how to adjust those to get the look that you want just right. And then you sort of capture the look and feel of the image. And then you can adjust and you've created almost like a style guide for your art. And that's been very interesting to figure out how to master that. I was creating at some point for a series we recently did, a paper we published on product market fit. And the theme that we had was a puzzle. Products have to fit the market prior to your go-to-market fit journey. And so throughout this piece, we created a puzzle tree. And it's a, a tree representing growth. And the leaves were all puzzle pieces. And then the next piece was around unlocking a giant puzzle. And so what's very cool is to be able to use these themes through the imagery and connect them through the work, the story that we're telling. I'm finding that very rewarding. But mid-journey does, it takes a lot of practice. And it's, of all of the tools, I find that it's time-consuming and there's a lot of patience involved in getting what you want just right. But then when you see the image, it's like, wow, there it is. That's exactly what I've been looking for. For some reason, I was thinking, is some of the work done on a Discord server, or am I wrong? Or no, do that's, you log in? That's, that's correct. Mid-journey is done through Discord. And so Discord, it takes a bit of learning to work in Discord. But Mid-journey has done a good job of helping. There's huge communities in Mid-journey. All of the Web3 communities I've, I've found have, are very inviting in teaching people how to do things. So it's not a closed type of community. There's all kinds of prompt guides. You can, there's several channels within the Midjourney Discord that invite new users and you can see other people's art and start to learn from them. So that's pretty interesting too. For anyone who's maybe interested in Midjourney and they've never used it before and they've never used Discord, Discord is like, a Teams or a or a Slack type mm-hmm. uh, collaboration site where you can create, in essence, a server or a site and Teams as a team site. And there's one that's specifically created by Midjourney. And mm-hmm. when you when you create the art, you're you're typing in a prompt, and are you sending that in a private channel to a bot, and then that bot sends you back the image after the analysis is complete? Is that how that works? Yeah. So it depends if you're, so when you're in the new, like a new user of mid journey and you're sort of practicing, 
um, everything you're doing is is really visible to other people and and people can go and discover your username and those kinds of things and also see your art. So it's very open the community. But I have a mid-journey bot that's on my Discord server. So everything I'm doing, it's it's just I'm just focused on what I'm doing. But what I do like, um, there's a community on LinkedIn. It's the AICC um, AI Content Creators Community, and the kind of work that agencies are doing, AI first agencies, where they're using AI art to generate ideas for products and new kinds of of ideas that are just wild. The the artists in these communities are just, they do stunning work. So using AI in essence as a brainstorming mechanism to really fire off potential ideas and things like that. Or a first step in a, a new product process. I remember seeing these household appliances like toasters and mixers and coffee pots that were all Star Wars themed. Those kinds of things where you can combine these two concepts and come up with entirely new product lines. And so I think that's probably where um, people who are part of agencies or in product design really utilize the art um, to push their ideas and, and their thoughts. I'm glad you walked me through the mid-journey workflow because I, I'm not going to lie, I've been a little hesitant in dipping into that tool because... I'm on Discord, but I find it stresses me out a little bit because there's a lot going on there. And so I was just like, oh, I don't really want to get on Discord any more than I have to. But it may be worth dipping in and learning because it is the more you learn, the better you are at kind of like navigating things down the road. So I appreciate that, Elizabeth. Yeah, Discord is intimidating. I have a kid who's 15 who's a gamer. He's like living in Discord like all the time. I got a, a couple of pointers here and there, but there's plenty of YouTube videos and guides and things like that out there that can make it less intimidating. We're here at the end of the podcast. Elizabeth, I would really love to know, do you have any closing thoughts or words of advice for our audience out there? I think that this emerging tech and Web3 journey that we're all on at some point, wherever our starting place is. I think people get very intimidated by this idea. I don't have enough time to learn. It's too complicated, all these kinds of things. And just encourage anyone listening to just put that to the side and just wherever your starting place is as a user, as a consumer, getting involved. The community of emerging technology are very people generally that are very open to bringing others along. And that's what I find incredibly encouraging. Um, In fact, my dad recently turned 91 and we had a birthday party for him in Spatial, which is a metaverse. And we weren't sure how it was going to go, but we had like 20 people attend his metaverse birthday party. And he gave a whole little speech and I set up a hotline for some of his friends from Wisconsin to like dial in for office hours to help them get their <laughs> account set up. So it's, oh, wow. I feel like very encouraged that there are lots of people who want to learn and 
having a responsibility for us to not widen the digital divide, I think is really important. I think that's a wonderful message. And I, I think it's very important that we extend that hand and we pull people up with us because it can be intimidating. So knowing that there are people cheering you on, on the sidelines, hopefully that will encourage more to take in the path we've taken and learn what we can about all this emerging technology. Elizabeth, I really want to thank you for joining. I really appreciated our conversation today, and I know our audience did too. And I hope that everyone listening uh, enjoyed it as much as I did, and we'll stick around, not just for this episode, but for the next episode of Cassie and...